Coming up on this episode of East Screen West Screen, we talk a bit about the Hong Kong Film Awards, Universal sells its stakes in Oriental DreamWorks, and our films this week, Wine War and The Cloverfield Paradox. This is East Screen, West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. And welcome to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is the show where we talk about film from Hong Kong to Hollywood and some other stuff in between. I'm your host, Paul Fox, sitting here in sunny South Florida. And coming to us from his news desk inside Leon Lai's wine cellar is Mr. Kevin Ma. Well, I can tell you that this wine cellar is bigger than my own place, Paul. I was kind of like Henry Tang's house. Is it an illegal structure? Yeah, I was like, it's bigger than Henry Tank. It's like Harry, Henry Tank's wine cellar. Yeah, that's that's the big news these days in Hong Kong is like all the illegal structures and whatnot. So it's like Doctor Who, you know, it's it's bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. Um, so, yes, how are you doing, sir? I'm going doing all right. You know, all right. Busy as always. Uh, how about yourself? Good, good, good. Uh, you know, things are going well as we quickly approach, um, what is it, uh, Chinese New Year, which is... Uh, just over a week off as the time we're recording this. I believe it's uh, February 15th is Chinese kind of New Year's Eve, and then Choyat, or the first day, is uh, the 16th, which is, I think, next Friday. So looking forward to that, and, of course, hoping to get out and see some of the uh, movies that they'll be distributing over here. Uh, but in the interim, I've been doing a lot of watching of stuff, particularly on Netflix, and we're going to talk about some of that today. Um, but one thing that's kind of popped up on my radar, I don't know if you've gotten a chance to see this yet, um, is this series Altered Carbon, which Netflix and a lot of the other streaming platforms that I watch, um, they give me targeted ads, I guess, um, as a result of my viewing habits. But they have been heavily promoing um, this, right? So we started watching that this, me and the wife, and really like it. I mean, it, it is very derivative of Blade Runner and... Um, stuff from lots of sci-fi like Battle Angel Alita and other things that you've probably seen if you're a big sci-fi fan, but it's very well done. I mean, I'm surprised, unlike a normal sci-fi film or even something like Game of Thrones where they tend to have a few key episodes where they blow the budget out for the season, this has been a show that's got really high level of production value and quality pretty much throughout. We're only on episode 7 out of the 10. We haven't quite finished yet. Um, but so far, I'm really, really enjoying it. It's not for the kids, though. It is uh, very violent and it's got sexy time in it as well. So just be advised, not something you want to watch when the kitties are in the room. Um, but there's a bit of controversy about this film. And I kind of knew going into the film, watching the trailers, I'm not a big fan of Joel Kinnaman, who's, who's the lead. Um, and and he, you know, he's a good-looking guy, very physically fit for the part, and looks great. But kind of knowing a little bit about what this was about, and it's somewhat related to things like Ghost in the Shell, you know, the idea of swapping out um, shells, or as they call them here, sleeves. Um, you know, it makes for interesting ideas and concepts about sci-fi. So there's a bit of a discussion going on in certain circles, and I guess controversy, depending on how you look at it, with this show, because it involves basically a character who is... Asian or Japanese by origin, who has been over time re-sleeved into this body that is portrayed by the actor Joel Kinnaman. So it's basically somebody who was Asian who now looks white, right? His mm. his soul, his identity is in this white sleeve, as it were. And so that, you know, it's like people are saying, well, whitewashing and, you know, this is again sort of Hollywoodization um, and there's an article that I'll link to in the show notes on Forbes that kind of breaks this down in, in interesting ways because based on the books that the source material is drawn from, this is what was written, right? So it's not really the case of simply replacing an Asian character with a white character. The character is Asian by descent in 
the book and he is wearing a white sleeve as kind of the character as the story is being told. The interesting thing here though, and I remember as I was watching this, is that because you can change sleeves out, you know, over time, whenever you want, at, at you know, kind of on a whim, the, um, you know, as they're telling this story, this character's had, um, he has his sort of original look as his original Asian character, and he's got um, one where he's played by another Asian actor, which is a bit further in the history, and then the current character who's played by Joel Kinnaman. And actually, the Asian actors are getting a lot of good screen time. I mean, one whole episode has um, the actor William Lee, who's the original Takeshi character um, that Joel Kinnaman's playing here. Um, it's like all about him and his sister and, and, and the backstory here. Um, and uh, the other Asian actor who plays this character at times is uh, Brian Mann. And of course, you know, part of me was like, it would have been maybe more interesting, yeah, if they didn't have Joel Kinnaman, if Joel Kinnaman was kind of like an intermediary sleeve. Um, but I, you know, I get it. He's the name uh, that they wanted to use to sort of draw people in. And that's fine. Um, but overall, I mean, you have Asian actors here doing really good performances, getting a lot of screen time. Could it have been more? Maybe so. I don't know. I mean, I'm not finished with the series. Um, but anyway, this article kind of breaks down the issue, talks about how in this kind of universe, it doesn't really matter. I mean, you do have a very diverse cast. At one point, um, there's a character that the main character is involved with, played by an African-American actress, but she was actually originally Japanese too. And then you've got this detective played by, um, I can't remember her name, but she's Mexican and, she, and you know, she's got sort of this Mexican or Span Hispanic background and some of the, you know, family culture that gets involved because of their religious beliefs and the idea of, you know, being able to basically be immortal because when your sleeve dies, you know, you can just get transported and put into another sleeve. It really touches on these ideas in very interesting and cultural ways. And so I think, um, you know, it's really worth a look. And if you've been putting this off because you're afraid of the whitewashing controversy surrounding it, I'd, I'd say give it a look because it's really not that simple. It's really um, doing a lot for, I think, presenting a very good face. Now, of course, yes, it's still a white main actor um, in the lead role. And my own preference would be to have maybe these Asian actors in the lead role. But even so, I think it's a step in the right direction. And it's great that Netflix took on this project and put a lot of money behind it because, you know, Altered Carbon is, I guess, in sci-fi novels is known, but it's not really a known property. But it does have that very much, it's really ripping Blade Runner really hard in terms of the aesthetics. So um, there is that. But it's got a lot of technological ideas that it's throwing out there and um, some pretty interesting sci-fi concepts as well. So I'd say if you haven't looked at it, uh, do give it a look because um, it's pretty awesome. Also on Netflix, uh, while well, you talk about sci-fi show, but actually uh, recently there's a Hong Kong, well, Hong Kong China co-production show that um, landed on Netflix just this week. Um, the show is called OCTB. Um, it's actually a triad story. Um, it was actually made uh, for free um, for YouTube viewers. Uh, I'm not sure if there was regional uh, thing there, but it was made available to um, Hong Kong viewers on YouTube for free. They were posting one episode a day for about um, three or four weeks there. It's 40 episodes. And... Um, so after the, they finished airing it, they took it off, and now it's resurfaced back on Netflix. Um, the show actually stars Jordan Chan, uh, Chan Gok Kwan, who plays Bruce Lee all the time. Well, the Bruce Lee one imitation in uh, in uh, Shaolin Soccer. Uh, Sam Lee, um, Rose Chan, uh, uh, Dennis Chan. Um, because you also have a, a cameo, well, smaller role, um, roles played by Mandad and lots of Hong Kong actors and Carrie mm, all these people showing up and the show of course the show was shot in Cantonese um, and yeah it's actually a co-production so it was actually made made for um, uh, a Chinese video platform Yuku so of course that means you have uh, uh, essentially making a triad film within the Chinese system which is a bit weird but yeah um, Sam Lee and, and Chang Gao are actually two of the producers on the show so it's, it is sort of Hong Kong produced and shot in Hong Kong shot in 4k um, and it's about it's 40 episode show about 
Hong Kong triads and undercover, and I've seen bits and pieces of uh, one or two episodes. So, but I'm not really interested in seeing how you know how you make a triad show for co-production. But if you're jonesing for a Hong Kong series, um, I think it's available on Netflix worldwide um, right now. Uh, with English subtitles, by the way, and it's forty episodes, so it's gonna take you a while to get through it. Um, yeah, there you go. Are they hour-long episodes or half-hour episodes? Hour-long episodes. Hour-long episodes. Yeah, episode. So that's a yeah, yeah, yeah. that's pretty much a full-on kind of TVB drama forty episode, or that that's a bit of a marathon. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, it's also shot like a TVB drama, which is why I'm not into it. Uh, the the director, I don't know if you guys um, have seen this film from the '90s. Street Gangs? Street Gang Violence, I think. I think mm. that's what it's called. It's from 1999. Uh, it was based on a true story um, of uh, these kids who like want to be triads and they end up bullying uh, these this kid to death, uh, their friend, and burned his body. It was actually a true crime story. Yeah, the film is called Street Kids Violence, by the way. Um, and the film in recent years, because it was made available on YouTube or something, and it became this huge cult hit. And one of the stars is... Uh, Song Bunjong, who actually became a director, and he's actually directed this entire show. But people, people my generation would know him as as um, this kid that was in Street Kid Violence, which became a huge cult. I went actually went to a a cinema screening of it last year because um, a local radio station they were bringing back these uh, classic, sort of recent classic Hong Kong films from the eighties and the nineties, and you know they brought the directors out to meet the audi- audience, and it's one of those revival screening series, and they show Street Kid Violence, and it was it was full, it was packed, and the stars, you know, who who didn't continue acting, they all came out, and these kids all know their names. They're like, they 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 freaking like revere these people. It was very weird because I didn't even know it was a cult hit until last year. But but yeah, the 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 one of the lead actors became a director and he directed this entire show. Yeah, all right. I'm looking at it now on uh, Netflix USA and um yeah, it's there. It's uh, 30 episodes it seems. Oh, um, 30, okay. The, but that's Not still 30. pretty lengthy. And uh, yeah, so I mean, check it out. It, you know, I guess if you are, are a fan of like older Hong Kong cinema, you'll recognize the name. Um as the acronym for Organized Crime and Triad Bureau, which was a Danny Lee movie, I think, um, <laughs> back in the day. Um, of course, every cop story was a Danny Lee movie back in the day. So uh, you do have that uh, to look forward to as a little bit of nostalgia, perhaps. I don't think he's in this one, but, um, you know, uh, take that for what it's worth. If you're looking for a bit of TV drama, do check that out. All right. Shall we get into our news for this week? <laughs> All right, here at the news desk, uh, two big stories. Uh, of course, one of them is the Hong Kong Film Awards. Hong Kong Film Awards has announced their nominations this week, um, and as expected, uh, anyways, our time will come. Uh, leads with eleven nominations. Uh, of course, the film was also named the best um, Hong Kong film of 2017 by the Hong Kong Film Critics Society, as you heard maybe uh, I think last episode. Um, also um, included, well, because somehow it was included by some kind of technical loophole, um, Sylvia Chang's Love Education um, earned nine nominations, um, and so did Wilson Yip's uh, Paradox, which is the quote-unquote third film in the SPL series. Um, also, I guess kind of a surprise, uh, Shockwave, the uh, Herman Yao film, also got Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Andy Lau. Um, and Best Supporting Actor for Philip Kern. Philip Kern also nominated here for Concerto the Bully, the new film by, um, <clears throat> what do you make, the when, Bounty uh, director. When was Chow. that released? Because, uh, you know, I didn't see that listed on the films of 2017 for uh, the Hong Kong Film Critics Association list. And it hasn't. According to according to the Hong Kong movie database, it's like a 2016 film. I mean, they may need to update, but I'm guessing it's an older production that was maybe held off on. Well, yeah. I mean, don't always actually, movie <laughs> Hong Kong movie database is not exactly the best source for these type of stuff. But no, um, the film was I think made around that time. It was held off, and it, it of course received those loophole uh, were early screenings, early public screenings um, before the end of the year. Uh, for uh, award consideration. So it did get the five screenings before the end of the year. Um, and officially, the film comes out on March 1st. Mm. And of course, they were trying to get use the nomination as a, as, a, as a launching pad for the release. And that's what they 
that's what they've done here. Excuse me. That's what they've done here. Uh, so playing that film, it was kind of a surprise. I mean, I've already seen the film through, you know, my, my film festival work kind of, I've seen the film and I was a bit surprised it got so many nominations. In fact, it got, uh, I think four nominations, I think, uh, for Philip Kern and then it got Ronald Chang, his, uh, first best actor nomination ever. Um, and I think a best, uh, best original song, um, and something, uh, best film original song, and I think uh, those three or four, Trophy out with the fourth, fourth um, best nomination went to film score, best, best original, best got it's oh, okay, there it best is. film score, best original film song, yeah, and yeah, yeah, there it is. Okay, so four, um, but the weird. Okay, here's the weirdest one. Uh, Twenty nine plus one. I think received something like seven nominations. So we got. Of course, best original film score, best original film song. It got best screenplay. It got best new director. It got best director. It got best supporting actress, just Joyce Chang. It also got Christy Chow her first best actress nomination, but no best film. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know what the what the what the criteria is like, but when you nominate for a film for seven other categories, doesn't that say something about the quality of the actual film? You would think. <laughs> you, you, you would, would think, think. Yes. Yeah. Um, yes, and, and, and conversely, the the real head scratcher in the best picture list is, of course, Chasing the Dragon. <laughs> yes, Chasing the Dragon did not receive a best screenplay nomination. Did not receive a best director nomination. So it's saying like, oh, Wanjing sucks, and Wanjing screenplay also sucks, but the movie's great. Yeah, <laughs> by some no kind no, of no best actor nods for it. I mean, it's like yeah, I don't the even think it's great. no best supporting actors. It's yeah, no best Your film score. <laughs> Yeah, your actors suck. Your, your film score sucks. Your, your directing sucks. Your but it's a great film. Sucks. But the film is great. <laughs> I don't know what happened. You know, this is one of those things. I mean, Hong Kong Film Awards, I think more so than a lot of film awards. I mean, um, it, the, the industry tends to like to reward films that do well commercially. So Shockwave did very well commercially. Uh, of course, Andy Lau is, you know, the people's ex- chief executive. So it's like, well... We like the film, so therefore we're gonna nominate everyone else in it, and I think that's what happened. It's like, well, except for Chasing the Dragon and <laughs> Twenty Nine Plus One, we like everything about Twenty Nine Plus One except the film. Yeah. We like every, we like we like nothing about Chasing the Dragon except the film. But you see things like you know Love Education, of course, down the line, right? Um, director, best actress, best actor, um, best supporting actress, and suddenly music and all that other crap. Um, and our time will come, just down the line. You know, 11 nominations, just give all that. Paradox, down the line. Here's Best Picture, we give it Best Director. And then, you know, all these people also get um, uh, acting nomination. It's just a bit um, odd the way they vote. But like I said, you know, they, they tend to reward um, uh, kind of both commercial success and artistic success, which is why Wolf Warrior 2 got a Best best uh, best Film for Mainland Taiwan nomination. Yeah. Which is very weird. <laughs> you know, it's like it's with the Great Buddha Plus, the boat to corrupt the beautiful, youth, duckweed, and then Wolf Warrior Two. This <laughs> sometimes this Hong Kong Film Awards makes the weirdest decision. Like, um just another one in um Best New Actor. So Best New Performer, Lorene Tang, I don't even know what she played. Okay, she was in Yuppie Fantasia Free, I think she's the daughter. Hannah Chang from Paradox, fine, she's great in it. Ling Man Long from Tomorrow's Another Day. I hear great things about that. Um and he has quite a significant role there. Rachel Learn for um, Somewhere Beyond the Mist, also well-deserved. And then Stephanie Ao for Love Off the Cuff. Now, in case you, you don't know who Stephanie Ao is, she's a professional swimmer. I think she went to the Olympics or something. She's like the, new, she's like the female Alex Fong, let's say. But she only appeared for like third in one scene in Love Off the Cuff. And they gave her a nomination. It's like this is like the uh, the Cold War Best New Actor nomination for the um, former head of the um, ICAC in Cold War. He only had six shots in the film, and he won, he, he won Best New Performer. I think I think Hong Kong Film Awards has a really weird tradition of of doing like nominating stunt casting for Best New Performer, and and for some reason like, people might actually be stupid enough to vote for Stephanie Ao, just like they were stupid enough to vote for that that guy in Cold War. How Kung Fu Wars just makes the weirdest decision, but I can tell you at least one person told me, one one person filled in that form told me that it was extremely difficult to fill in last year, uh, the nomination form this year, so you can kind of tell um, what, a, what a difficult year it's been. Uh, 
so you get things like Chasing the Dragon getting a bunch of no- six nominations, and you get, um, and for some reason, uh, uh, you leave a film like Somewhere Beyond the Mist only got three nominations: uh, Best New Performer, um, Best uh, Best Screenplay, and uh, I think Best Supporting Actress. And yet, it wasn't wasn't considered. I mean, I I'm, I'm not in love with Somewhere Beyond the Mist, but it's better. It's a better film than Chasing the Dragon. <laughs> Right, like mm-hmm. there, uh, there's a long list of films that is better, better than Chasing Dragon. I, I know people don't agree with me on this. I know there are many fans of Chasing the Dragon out there, considering you know what I see on um on the Love H Film uh Facebook group. But come on, right? Um, one pleasant surprise: The Empty Hands by Chapman Toe uh, got six nominations. Um, I think people were a bit nervous whether pe- whether um his 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 um his colleagues in the film industry would would uh, nominate him for anything ever again after you know his his run-ins with china but they gave it um uh quite a few nominations they gave it um best uh it didn't get a best new director i think it got best new director i'm ch- checking now um it got best actress so steffi paul you can even say woo. Yeah. uh so i think steffi's first best actress uh nomination um Best new director, I think Chapman Toe, because it's only his second film, so so it it is qualified. Um, also, uh, best uh, cinematography, um, best uh, uh, best art direction. Anyway, total of six nominations, uh, which is a big thing for 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 Chapman, big boost um, for his directorial career. Um, otherwise, oh, also a weird nomination: Susan Shaw for Vampire Cleanup Department. You know, I mean, Susan Shaw's a very prolific actress, and she she works very hard. Um, but I haven't really seen a great award worthy performance from her yet. Uh, so for her to be nominated for Vampire Cleanup Department, where she just plays one of those, you know, her typical, you know, like grandma role, like it's just very, like I said, it's just a very weird year. Yeah, it's interesting to see some of the divergence between the Hong Kong Film Critics Society Awards, too, because, I mean, here you don't, you, I mean, pretty much God of War is taken off the table. I mean, it's not in there for Best Screenplay. Um, Karata is relegated to Best Supporting Actor nominations um, rather than Best Actor nominations. Um, you know, it, I don't. I don't see it's, you know, it's not in there for art direction. It's not in there for uh, visual effects. Any technical stuff. You know. Yeah. Um, well, but the thing is, the thing is, the Hong Kong Film Critics Society doesn't have a Best Supporting Actor nom- uh, category, which is why they round up everyone, both supporting and main actors, in one category. Hmm. So that's why Kurada is... is and Kurata is rightfully considered best supporting actor for that film. But it's interesting because Philip Kern got two nominations and Yas- Yasuaki Kurata got two nominations. And that leaves... So that's why you have six nominees this year. I think... Wait, six? One, two, three, four, five. I see five. Okay. So Philip Kern is nominated for two films. Yes. Um, no, that's one, two, three. Yeah, six nominations this year rather than five because you have um, Yasuaki being nominated for both The Empty Hands and God of War. And then you have Philip Kern being um, uh, nominated for Concerto Bully and Shockwave, neither of which he's actually that great in, let's face it. Um, and then then they gave the rest of the nominations to Paul Chen for Love Off the Cuff and Lam Ka Dung for Paradox. Yeah. I think if I ever start an awards thing, it would, it's going to be based on different categories. You know, it's like, obviously you give Wolf Warrior a nod because it's the biggest you know, breakout film, right? Uh, I, I, you know, as I'm, I'm thinking of the person I probably saw the most of so far in 2017 films has got to be Baby John Choi, because I mean <laughs> he was pretty much in everything. He was in Shockwave. He was in Vampire Cleanup. He was in um, one of the rom coms, and it's like you know, you, you give him the A is for effort, or <laughs> you know the 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 guy who's working, you know, the Louis Koo Award for being. <laughs> <laughs> the most amount of films for the year. Um, so, yeah, you know, it's just, it's interesting to see some of the different ideas and parameters that are being used here. Um, any any thoughts from you on what you think? I mean, do you think that Our Time Will Come is pretty much going to sweep? Or do you think you'll see, um, you know, some uh, some some shockers? Like, I'd, I'd like to see Chrissy Chow win. Uh, I 
don't think she will, but um, I think that'd be, you know, a great win if she could pull that off. Um, I haven't seen Empty Hands, so I can't say yes or no on, on Steffi, but, you know, like we were talking about before, that would be a very kind of interesting step forward for her career as well, you know, given where she or where Chrissy uh, both came from. Um, but, yeah, any any predictions? I, I would be very, very angry if anything other than Our Time Will Come or Love Education wins Best Picture. Chasing the Dragon, Best Picture, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, this is the Hong Kong Film Award, so, you know, weirder things have happened. Um and and the, the the exclusion of twenty nine plus one from best picture is just baffling to me. Shockwave, I can see why they're trying to reward the film for doing something big, but it just sort of shows you what the industry is looking for. And the fact that they left out in your dreams almost completely, leaving him only one best editing nomination, only because probably because William Chang's name is on it, but they left out left it out everything not even best new director not even best new actor not even best actress or karina lao of all people is karina now is then she was great in that film um so and, and then your best actress is a very very competitive uh competition but you know then they just sort of automatically go oh well our time will come we love we love our time will come so we put everything we nominate for everything and joe no, here we go it's not joshin's best performance it was fine she was fine in it, but clearly dini yip was the mvp of that movie but, you know, then they go, well, no, it's our time. We love our time. We come. Let's put Joe Shun on anyway. It's, you see kind of the nomination list. Is, um, these people, I'm not sure how much heart or how much effort they're really putting into or consideration they're really putting into it. Um, you know, the Hong Kong Film, this is why the Golden Horse Awards, you know, has so much more respect than the Hong Kong Film Awards. But, you know, I'm not saying that the Hong Kong Film Awards isn't an achievement. Of course it is. We just wish that the voters take it a little more seriously. I mean... I think they sort of had this halo around them after 10 years, won the, the Best Picture Award, and then now they suddenly go back and do, do, do this. Like, it's, it's the, the nominating body, I think, it needs to be refreshed. I think they need to add more people in, just like the way that the Academy is trying to include more diversity. I think they need more new blood into the nominating committee uh, instead of the same people. I think this is the, 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 this is why this whole nomination list is kind of why. I mean, the fact that, like I said, the way 29 plus 1 and Chasing the Dragon worked out is just very, very odd. And it just points out how weak of a year it was last year in Hong Kong cinema. Yeah, that's true. I mean, one of the things that uh, I think our friend and uh, one-time guest on the show, Stephen, mentioned when I pointed out, you know, I was like, Chasing the Dragon Best Picture really is like, well, what else was there? <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it, it you know as I looked over the list of stuff that you know that I've got ranked out, um, you know it's there's just not a, it's not been a great year really. I mean there's some really standout films, but even so, there's not a lot of them. So um, you know it's understandable how some of these categories get um, carried over. Though when I do look at something like best action choreography, um, and you don't see God of God of War there where I think perhaps it rightfully belongs more so maybe than screenplay. Um, it's just surprising because they do have Chasing the Dragon there listed, um, along with uh, a couple others, Wukong, which I thought the action choreography was okay, but it was so much green screeny stuff that, you know, when you take something like that as action versus something where you've got some traditional fighters like, you know, and fight choreographers like Samo and and others, you know, working on the ground. I it, to me, those don't equal out uh, quite the same. I don't know. Um, Thousand Faces of Dungia, okay. I haven't seen The Brink. Paradox, not seen. Um, guessing that's okay. Uh, Shockwave, not on there. Chasing the, the Shockwave Dragon. didn't have that much. But it is weird that Chasing the Dragon, that being, you know, Donnie's big dramatic swift, you know, shift um, from action cinema to drama, then it gets done for yeah. best action choreography anyway. Like, um, yeah, I mean, the brink is perfectly fine there. There are some really interesting stuff there. Um, Dunja, well, Dunja, I hope they don't count the aliens fighting as, as action <laughs> choreography. Um, um, no, what, what film were you just mentioning that, that was missing? Uh, um, God of War. God of War, yeah, no, no, another one that you just mentioned, like just before. Uh, I... Wu Kong is on there. Yeah, Wu Kong is on there, but and, there was a um, film that you... 
uh, Paradox. Oh, Shockwave, Shockwave, sorry. Shockwave, yeah. yeah, Shockwave didn't really have that much action. Like, it was much more impressive in the staging of the, the hostage sequence, but mm-hmm. I don't remember there being that much, you know, quote-unquote action. You know, I mean, yeah, maybe the end, the gunfights at the end, but those are like, you know, <laughs> this yeah. what it is. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But I guess Chasing the Dragon got... There are a few action scenes, but I wouldn't go as far as to say there was a, like, action choreography. I mean, then you think about, um, why isn't Empty Hands there? I mean, Empty Hands is about karate, for crying out loud. Yeah, true. Um, yeah, yeah, so it's a bit, a bit odd. All right, well, we will keep you abreast once the actual film awards uh, are at hand, and I'm pretty sure Kevin will be running a live blog at the time, right? And uh, we'll Me. talk about it more uh, once that happens. All right, next piece of news. Um, Oriental DreamWorks. Do people actually remember that this exists? Yeah, this is the um, co-venture between uh, the uh, um, DreamWorks, uh, well, which is now owned by Universal, um, and the uh, China Media Capital, a Chinese company. So there's uh, a DreamWorks animation big entry into China, but now it's being relaunched um, because after, for the last two years, uh, after... Kung Fu Panda Free, uh, they haven't really done anything because uh, that was their big project and nothing, and it kind of didn't do well at the box office. And then DreamWorks Animation got sold to Universal, and now Universal has officially sold the rest of their stake, their forty-five percent stake, back to China Media Capital. So now Oriental DreamWorks is no longer Oriental DreamWorks; it will become Pearl Studio. Um, so this is another one of those China Hollywood co-venture that sort of failed, unfortunately. Uh, it seems like DreamWorks will continue to work on um, one more film with the studio. Uh, it's a 2019 film called Everest. Um, and it was mostly financed by Oriental DreamWorks. Um, but I think afterwards, it will be a purely a, a Chinese animation company. It will become... Um, um, I get. I don't know what they're gonna do. What my Pearl Studio is gonna do, but there's another sign that you know Hollywood's love affair with uh, China is slowly, slowly fading. Um, as they realize that you know, just because you know China has a lot of money flowing around doesn't mean all of it is going to America, <laughs> or that you know America can just go into China and treat it as an ATM. Um, and you know, I think rude awakening is coming for Chinese studios. Yeah, I mean it's uh. It's part of this kind of decoupling, I guess, that's been going on between, uh, I guess, Hollywood and investment in China and then co-investment back into Hollywood films. And we've seen this continue. And I guess the main focus now for big China studios is really looking more at doing um, the Belt and Road kind of stuff, right? Which I guess Wolf Warrior 2 is a part of that and and trying to create films that are going to really like target the idea of China soft power not towards the United States but more towards the the One Belt, One Road countries, I guess it were. Right. Um, and, you know, they were, of course, of course, uh, China's com- Chinese companies are also into invest. They realize that they can make more money instead of trying to attract Hollywood to go to China. They can do better by trying to throw their money in Hollywood. So they have these co-production deals with long-term co-production deals. So STX, for example, Hawaii has STX. Um, I think Perfect World has Universal. So it's really weird to see Perfect World logo in uh, The Darkest Hour, a film that's so quintessentially British. Um, also, Bona used to have a deal with... Uh, fox i think um but yeah you got some of these long-term co-financing deals that actually probably work out better because then chinese companies get a whole big share of the global box office or global revenue rather than just sort of having to give away part of the chinese revenue to hollywood um and perhaps that works better i mean creatively they don't even have to worry about uh creatively um trying to get through censors because you know the films don't necessarily all play in china and don't have to because in the end, just all about making box office rather than Chinese box office, but global box office. So that kind of worked out better, I think, for Chinese companies. Um, but it's too bad, you know. I think I kind of I I think I like Kung Fu Panda Free. I don't totally remember. It was fine. It it was a it, you know it was like the ideal project for Oriental DreamWorks. Just sad that they they um, haven't released that second project yet. Um, are, do you 
are you looking forward to Everest? This is the uh, story of a girl who tries to bring a Yeti from the Himalayas back to Shanghai. Uh, is this something that, that interests you, Paul? Yeah, I'd watch it. I mean, I'm yeah. interested. I mean, you know, it, it's uh, Kung Fu Panda 3, I thought was fine for what it was. It wasn't as perhaps innovative as I had hoped it might be. But it was a fine, you know, end of the story. We got to see where, you know, Poe's, what happened to Poe's parents and his tribe and all that. And it it, it was okay, you know. And, and I think that if this, I was hopeful that this would go forward and there would be more original content coming out, you know, as a result. And I guess they pulled back because it didn't do as well as expected, as you said. But, you know, I'm looking forward to Everest. If, you know, I like animation, I like animated films. Um, it's a pretty big year this year for, you know, uh, stuff in that vein. We've got a new Wreck-It Ralph movie coming. There's a sequel to The Incredibles coming later this year. So, I mean, I'm all for that. I, I'm not biased towards Pixar. I like the DreamWorks stuff. I like uh, some of the Blue Sky stuff. I mean, if it's good, I like it and I'll take my daughter to see it and they'll get more of my money. So, uh, keep making it. (laughs) And if you, and especially if you make stuff, like I talked about the Guardian Brothers a couple weeks back, you know, um, I'd love to see more stuff that's very culturally specific to China, um, you know. And with that kind of stuff, I mean, it's not like we were talking about with, you know, the OCTB series or something or A Better Tomorrow 2018 because, you know, with kids stuff, you know, morality tales tend to already be kind of centered in um, a place that should not be objectionable necessarily, you know, so it's not like, you know, you're going to brush up against too many problems with Sarft or something. So I think there's a lot of room for creativity and going back and telling stories. And unfortunately, um, some of that stuff, it, it doesn't get day and date release or, it, you know, takes a year. Like I'm thinking of the Jackie Chan uh, Monkey King animation that came out a, a year or so ago. Um you know, it's like a lot of stuff just doesn't get promoted right away. So, you know, I'd say bring it. Let us take a short musical break, and we'll be back with Kevin's review of Leon Lai in Wine War. And welcome back for our e-screen review this week. It's a Leon Lai film. Stop the presses. <laughs> <laughs> so, Kevin, tell us about Wine War. Yeah, so, oh boy. So, Wine War actually isn't Leon Lai's first directorial effort. Um, he directed some MTVs, and um, he actually directed music films when he you know, when he was the head of his record company. Um, a film called Melody Looking. A Melody Looking is a seventy-five or eighty-minute actually musical film, but it's probably one of the worst musicals you ever see. Um, but yeah, this is his sort of I guess decent theatrical released um, uh, fil- directorial debut, uh, and the film stars uh, Zhang Hanyu and of course Leon Lai, um, and a bunch of Chinese actors, including Du Juan, Du Juan, the, uh, the the supermodel. Um, anyway, the story: Shui Zhang, played by Zhang Hanyu, and Weili, played by Leon Lai, were buddies uh, in the orphanage. Adopted by a French couple and moved to France at a young age, Weili has become a wine connoisseur prodigy. Um, and of course, really rich. Left alone in China, Shui Zhang grows up to be a nobody. When Shui Zhang travels to France one day to enlist Weili's help in auctioning a bottle of red wine called the God of Wine, uh, Weili accepts the challenge in a heartbeat. The other potential buyer is a wealthy and imposing co tycoon, Chang Fang Fang. Um, while he appears to be a rich and vulgar brute on the surface, he is actually much more than meets the eye. The group of buyers set up set off an out-of-hand wine war, but as it turns out, the auction is, isn't is even about the wine at all. So like I said, I don't know if you guys have seen a Melody Looking, but I have, so I knew exactly what I was in for, because, I mean, that is just one of the worst things I've ever seen. Um, Leon Lai, he's not a great um, 
filmmaker. He's never been a great storyteller. Um, in fact, Leon Lai's singing is about as good as his acting, and they are just about as good as directing. So, if, <laughs> and I think that says so. A basically, lot. watch uh, Comrades, almost a love story, and stop there. That's an outlier, <laughs> friend, my friend. That's an outlier. All right, Comrades always a love story. It's not the it's, it's not the rule. It is the exception. Have <laughs> you seen other Leon live films? You know what what, what you're expecting. Um, but the film, you know, if if Why War is, is a lot of things, but it's not boring. Uh, I will say that. Um, but it is not boring for the wrong reasons. So Leon Lai, who came up, actually came up with the story for this mess. He actually had a story credit, and I think he might have co-written the script. He has a very stream of consciousness style when he tells a story that essentially has more flashbacks than a whole season of loss. So I would tell you, okay, so so it goes like this. Um, a is walking, is walking, and he's going to point B. But suddenly halfway, he remembers that two months ago, he was actually doing something else, something, something, blah, blah, blah. And then he keeps walking, keeps walking, goes to point B, and he meets, he meets C. But then C, six months ago, was actually doing da 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 And then come back to the present. And then A and C go somewhere. And then they meet D. But then actually D actually knows A from four months ago. When they da 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 That is the entire film. <laughs> it just keeps stopping in his tracks for a flashback, flashback. It's almost like a guy... Is telling a story, he keeps forgetting like the background that he was supposed to give before he started telling the story, and it's like he keeps forgetting what he was supposed to say, and then it's, oh okay, back to the story, and it's just a really weird like half the film is a flashback. It's a longer flashback than a Bollywood film, all right? Like, um, yeah, and and it, it the, the plot makes no sense. They just keep sort of stopping and then going back, stopping, and going back, and it's like, why do I need to know all this information? I don't, I don't, um. But it is a vanity project. It's Leon Lai, you know, spending a ton, well, spending someone else's money <laughs> to to make this really polished film. So it looks pretty. The whole, I think, most of the film is shot in France, and um, it has, you know, it, it received tax credit from the uh, the French government, um, and you know, lots of pretty pretty places. Like they have this this huge um, mansion outside the city, and it ends with this big action sequence on a train and there are like people firing guns i don't know why he's so many people in france has guns uh but they do so there you go yes they are using guns over a bottle of wine it's all those wine cartels you know they're they're dangerous yeah you know those damn wine cartels um so the cgi honestly you know while not great it could be a lot worse i mean there's this big train sequence at the end that includes blowing up a, a bridge and and you know um, explosions and things like that, and yeah, it could have been a lot worse. But you know, Leon paid the bills, and and they all kind of look decent. But nothing in the film makes any sense. Why do these people do anything that they do in this movie? Um, to to tell you more about Zhang Hanyu's character would be a spoiler. But why is he doing any of this stuff? Why does he go to France to buy a bottle of wine? Why is he hired by this? by whatever whoever hired him to do this thing why does leon Lai say yes why does leon Lai know wine why does this other guy do all this stuff why do anyone do anything in this movie um so for example um uh the actually the story is not really spoiled because it happens quite early in the film the people who are auditioning the winders big rich family and uh and, and you know a couple of few brothers and um the idea is that they're actually selling the wine, not really to sell the wine. They're selling the wine as a trap to bring someone back from their life back. Um, and in one pivotal scene, they decided that shooting a sniper, uh, using a sniper rifle to, to shoot their sister is a way of luring the guy out. It's like, you're going to shoot your sister? And then, so yeah, I'm going to shoot, we're going to shoot our sister. And if he really is this guy, he's going to jump out and protect her. It's like, wait, wait, what? And that's actually a pivotal action scene in the film. And, and just sort of, I just like biting my nail. Like, why does, it's one of the stupidest plan ever since from Vegas to Macau when Interpol <laughs> decides to hire Charlie Fat to gamble with this guy just so he can trip up and the Interpol can arrest him. <laughs> it's just like, who the hell writes these things? Seriously. Is this a um, musical or is it just a straight? No. 
No, no it's a straight, like, no. I told people die and everything. Like, people get shot and they die. And there is crying and emotion and crying and crying. And people, yeah, are emotional and stuff. Um, so Zhang Hanyu is doing his big machismo northeastern thing. Um, and he kind of gets through it unscathed because I think he doesn't even take it seriously. He's like, I know I'm in a Leon Lai movie. <laughs> So I'm just sort of not really taking anything seriously, except, you know, I'll just do what Leon Lai tells me to do. But in the middle, I'll just sort of make some dumbass jokes. Um, and I think he, he gets, I guess, gets through a bit of fun. I mean, he gets to spend a couple months in France um, shooting this silly movie of Leon Lai directing. I mean, it's like Leon Lai's not going to give me better acting directions <laughs> than Feng Shao Gong, right? <laughs> so, um, so he's fine. He'll come out unscathed. But, you know, Leon Lai is on lie like i said his acting is as good as directing so if he's his own acting teacher then we're in huge trouble um and yeah the rest of the cast is sort of hamming it up um and the rest of the film is just so nonsensical that you know like i said there is like real stakes going on here people die and stuff and there are guns but it's hard to feel anything but disdain for the whole thing you can't really there's a big emotional moment um in the end when you know it's like slow motion and flashback and ballads is a ballad you know some female voicing a ballad and you're supposed to feel sad about it but it's like why can't why is it slow motion why is it slow motion like why is it still going and and you just kind of roll your eyes instead of feeling anything for it just such a silly silly movie um so yeah that's it's a colossal failure i think on all counts i mean seriously who needs tommy wiseau when we have leon lie you know we have to switch i mean guys i know the room is like made by white people and everything and it's like american and therefore it's more hip but come on we have switch we have wine war we have virtual recall we can kick the room's ass any day we'll make the best worst movie ever Wine War should go in and, and, and fight for that, you know, fight for that title. Um, it's seriously one of the worst movies of the year, if not the decade. Um, it's not Switch, because Switch is just sort of weird, and so is this, but... Well, no, okay, yeah, I think you guys... I think a Switch and Wine War double feature would be would be a very interesting uh, idea, and we can throw in a Virtual Recall for anyone to actually mix it through a double feature and and see if um, Virtual Recall is the, the film that would knock them out. Yeah, that's um, a true te- toler a true test of tolerance, right there. Yeah, and then you can end the night with Passion Island for the five people that survived from uh, everything. <laughs> Probably so gonna be us. <laughs> is this? I mean, because you did make reference to his earlier work, um, a melody looking. Um, I mean, in terms of Hong Kong connections, he's not pulling like the Vidal sisters in or Chapman Toes not in this. It's just him. Is there any other Hong Kong connections? No, because those guys aren't even his um, in his record company anymore. So um, the only sort of other big name is Du Juan, like as, as the sister that was getting shot, <laughs> as Leon Lai's love interest. But no, I think he doesn't really have much of a record company anymore. I think he's the only artist left. So or the other ones are sort of dormant now. And Chapman Toes already left; he's not singing anymore. And the Vidal sisters went elsewhere. Um, so he doesn't really have um, people to manage anymore. So it's not. Um, a vanity project for his record company, just a vanity, just a vanity project for himself. Mm. And is I mean, is he he's not pimping his own wine brand or anything in this? Because I mean, wine selling and reselling and collection is a pretty big thing in both Hong Kong and China now. Is he has he gotten into that, or is this just he had an idea and it was about wine and he made a movie? No, I think he just had an idea about wine, just made a movie. But if Leon Lai ever released a brand of wine, stay the hell away. <laughs> it's just going to be grape juice. <laughs> it's going to be grape juice. <laughs> grape juice. And, and, then, and then, you know, it, it, it'll only be half full because while he's making it, he realized that he has some sort of backup background story he had to tell and he just forgot to make the rest of it. <laughs> That's pretty much wine war. Right? This is a silly, silly movie. I think you actually kind of have fun with it, Paul. Yeah, uh, considering how much you have fun with Meow. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, I had big fun with Meow. So I'll look forward to this, and uh, I'll, I'll check back in once I've uh, endured it.
Alright, for our West screen review this week, The Cloverfield Paradox, which uh, dropped right after the Super Bowl on Netflix. Uh, this is a film from a fairly new director named Julius Ona with a pretty diverse uh, international cast. Now, I remember talking about this film at some point last year when I was looking over, you know, films that were coming out at some point in 2017. I was talking about this with Kevin. I said, hey, there's this thing called uh, The God Particle. And it stars Zhang Ziyi. And we're like, whoa, what's that? What's that? I don't know what that is. Um, and so it's got kind of this interesting backstory behind it, how it went from being this film called The God Particle and became the third installment in the uh, Cloverfield series. And I'll talk a little bit more about that once uh, I get further through the film. So the basic story here is hoping to launch a much-needed energy revolution the crew of an international space station activates a particle accelerator that is supposed to generate a new source of renewable energy. But an unforeseen complication knocks the station out of orbit. As the crew then struggle to reorient themselves to the um, situation, a series of anomalies begin to occur, leaving them questioning the nature of their reality and desperate to find their way home. Um, so, yeah, this is... Um, this is an interesting film for, I want to say, the first half. <laughs> and then it kind of descends into some very typical tropey um, science fiction area. The thing that's really attractive for this is, as I said, because it's an international space station, you have a fairly diverse uh, cast of characters here. Um, the lead here is played by, and forgive me if I mess up her name, um, Gugu Mbatha-Raw as uh, Hamilton, and she's the communications officer of sorts on this station. Um, she has a situation and sort of a backstory that unfolds. It's fairly interesting, and in some ways um, this sets up some of the sci-fi tropes narrative um, that as it relates to other films that I'll mention in, in a minute. I don't want to give too much away um, for fear of spoilers. Um, but uh, on this station also you have actors like uh, Chris O'Dowd um, from the IT crowd he is here. Um, as I said, Zhang Ziyi is the sort of the Chinese um, operative here. Uh, Elizabeth uh, Debicki is here. You might have last seen her in, um, uh, what was she, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 2. She was the big... Uh, the big sort of bad in that, the, the, the gold alien queen. And um, let's see, uh, David Brule is here also. He was also got a Marvel connection. He was Baron Zemo in Captain America Civil War. Um, and a couple others. So it's a fairly, you know, closed kind of bottle cast because they're, they're kind of stuck on the space station. And then dealing with the strangeness uh, that begins to occur after they kick on this particle accelerator. So overall, it's kind of solid B-movie science fiction. Um, and that can be good, that can be bad. In some ways, it brings up themes like f old films, like um, The Day Time Ended, which is a classic kind of uh, bad but good B-movie science fiction from 1979. Um, there are themes that touch on things like the film Coherence from 2014. Um, there's aspects here of Solaris, um, Event Horizon, and pretty good production values overall um, uh, throughout the film. Like I said, the first half when this strangeness starts to occur and the crew's not really sure what's going on, um, and there's, you know, it's not really horror, but there are some things that happen that make you go, whoa, what's going on? You know, that's, that's, that's very weird. And it's, that's when I had the most fun with this film, and I kind of wished they had that momentum continuing forward. But unfortunately... In the sort of the latter half, it kind of gets into, uh, you know, the, the they've got to get the station back and things are breaking down and people are starting to die. And and, um, you know, there's a there's a there's a couple twists thrown in there that you kind of see coming. Um, and overall, I think it kind of the, the latter half is just not quite as interesting. Um, it's still, you know, it's fine to go through and complete the story, but it's like, again, one of these things where like at the beginning of it, you have this crew of specialists who are all needed to run the station. And by the end, as the crew is whittled down, you know, it's like, okay, now you got one or two people and they're still running the station, even though the station's kind of falling apart around them. They still have the ability to, 
to make things work and to keep things going. Um, and that can be kind of, you know, that can stretch the credibility perhaps a little bit. But um, as a film set in the Cloverfield universe, let me talk a little bit about the Cloverfield aspect. So this film was kind of at a certain point picked up by J.J. Abrams while it was being developed. And it really initially had nothing to do with Cloverfield. If you know the story behind uh, the second Cloverfield film, I think Cloverfield Lane, that same kind of idea where he kind of snapped it up and said, I want to set this, take this, it's it's titled as a separate thing, and I want to retitle it and set it in sort of the Cloverfield universe. Um, so he kind of did the same thing here. Now, that being said, does it make it a better film? I think your miles may vary depending on how much you like the Cloverfield universe and how much you mind the idea that some of the Cloverfield elements are a little bit kind of tacked on. Um, this film does touch back to the first and the second film. Um, there are some brief character cameos um, and some things that tie things together in a way that some people might think is interesting and other people might think, eh, it's really just kind of trying to fit a square peg in a round hole. Um, for example, you have uh, Denal Logu here as he's the, if you if you watch Gotham, he's the guy who plays Harvey Bullock on uh, the Gotham series. He's here in a small role that kind of relates him back to the second film, and there's some callbacks to the first film. And it's interesting in some ways, and in other ways it's kind of interesting to think about how would this have fared if it was just by itself, the God particle. Um, but it is what it is, and it got dropped to Netflix rather than theatrical release. Um, and so it's there, and it's this kind of step in this new direction, which um, is also something that perhaps we can talk about um, as I wrap up the review. So in, in, it, in total, it's not terrible. It's got a good first half. Second half kind of just goes by the numbers. And it's, you know, you kind of know that because it's in Cloverfield, it's kind of like a Shyamalan thing, you know. You're waiting for the twist to come, but they really telegraph it. I mean, you can really see the twist coming. It's not really a twist in that case. Um, and so by the end, you're like, well, okay, that's that's what they did. Um, all right, now, you know, is there going to be a part four? Maybe, maybe not. Um, in some ways, it's kind of like the Cloverfield brand is a bit like Abrams's parallel of uh, Charlie Brooker's Black Mirror, right? This is kind of his label for weird Twilight zone -y kind of stories. They He just happens to tie them all into this same kind of universe, and they're all, you know, loosely connected. So um, it is there, and if you liked the first film, you liked the second film, this probably isn't as good as either or as innovative as either of those, but it's still, it's a fun watch. Um, great to see Zhang Ziyi here. The characters themselves pretty much um, speak there, you know, like for the most part, uh, you have English speakers, like I mentioned, Chris O'Dowd. Um, you have uh, one actor, I think his name escapes me, um, who speaks a little bit of Russian, um, Daniel Bruhl jumps into German at one point. Zhang Zi pretty much just speaks Mandarin throughout. I think she's got one English line where she says something like, okay, but they take the approach that all of these characters speak the language, and so sometimes um, a couple of the characters will switch into Mandarin to speak to Zhang Zi's character, and, and um, so they channel switch, which is kind of, you know, you know you, these are all astronauts. They're all super smart, I guess, and they know multiple languages, so that's fine, and I think it works well. Um, Zhang Ziyi too is kind of plain here. I mean, if you've seen her movies like, you know, Sophie's Revenge and others where she's all glammed up, uh, interesting to see her taking on sort of a more plain kind of sciencey role here, um, where, you know, she doesn't have that kind of glam China actress look to her. So, um, just for that part point alone, I, I, you know, kind of drew me in and I wanted to watch this film right away to see what they did with her. Not a huge role, um, kind of comparable to, I would say, Michelle Yeoh's role in the movie Sunshine in some ways. Unfortunately, she's not a lead character, but um, she does have an important part to play and is always nice to see on screen. So you can check that out. Again, it's on 
uh, Netflix. The other thing that kind of came out along the same time with this news is that Netflix is jumping the gun um, by preemptively buying up theatrical potential theatrical releases now. And maybe, Kevin, you can speak to this a little bit, um, because apparently the Natalie Portman film Annihilation, which was to be released by Paramount, has fallen to the wayside, too, and been snapped up by Netflix. It's getting a theatrical release in the U.S., but um, I think everywhere else except China. Um, for some reason, I think there's still a Hong Kong release coming up. Uh, so ex- ex- I guess except Hong Kong, um, they're releasing uh, it on. They sold it to Netflix, um, which is interesting. Hmm. Um, yeah, but they are still releasing it theatrically in the U.S. Oh, they are. Okay. Right. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. the couple of news articles I read were a little bit ambiguous on that point. I guess they're just hyping on the news that uh, you know Netflix is jumping the gun for the release. Is it a day and date thing or um I hear is like within a week or two hmm. uh for Netflix or worldwide um except like I said except Hong Kong. I'm trying to check if there's still a, a Hong Kong release date here. Um there was for for some time, but I don't see it anymore, so maybe actually Hong Kong might be included uh along with that that global release, but uh not sure. Listening to the East Screen West Screen podcast. Visit Comcast.com for more. And you have been listening to the East Screen West Screen podcast. Our theme music was composed by Rob Jabour of Schnauzer Radio Orchestra. Research has come from a variety of sources, but primarily lovehkfilm.com and the Hong Kong Movie Database. We also get a tremendous amount of moral support from listeners like you. If you would like to be part of the show, you can get in touch with us via the website at concast.com. You can follow us on Twitter at concast. You can email us at eastscreen at gmail.com, and you can find us on Facebook at eastswests. Um, before I get into Kevin's contact info, I forgot to ask you, sir, did you watch any of the Cloverfield movies? I Watched the first two, obviously, mm-hmm. um, and and I watched about one minute of the new one, and I realized I have to finish like an episode of Rick and Morty or something. So I just like <laughs> ah, I watched some other time. The, that's the better choice, <laughs> all the way. The much better choice, to be sure. It was a good episode. This one where uh, uh, they have a huge house party and they end up in another dimension or yeah. something. Yeah, it was yeah. great. Yeah, no, yeah. So so I, I I I'm kind of holding it off because I have so many movies. In fact, I was just talking. Well, we were just talking on whatsapp just now um that uh, uh i realized that a better tomorrow 2018 is day and date here in hong kong on vod so i just i just used up the points on extra vod and i just started watching it so i gotta finish that before i even get the clover view all right and if you would like to get in touch with mr ma sir where can they find out more about you yeah, you can uh, follow me on Twitter. I am at the Golden Rock. That's one word at the Golden Rock. Um, you can also uh, read me on uh, Cathay Pacific and Cathay Dragon Airways uh, Airlines uh, in Silk Road and Discovery Magazine. Um, this month, uh, February, I write about Suburbicon and Cree Billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, and for World Film Club. Um, I oh there's also an interview a email interview with John Wu, uh, director of Manhunt. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't meet him face to face, but there's an interesting little piece there about Manhunt. Some with some really great quotes quotes, uh, by the way. Um, and for um, World Film Club, I talked about. See, I always forget about what I do for World Film Club because it's the art house, uh, a section, and I. I just have this weird memory about how I forget what I write about. But anyway, it's on there in those magazines. Uh, you can also follow I have a monthly listicle that's on discovery.cathaypacific.com um, You can also email me at kevin at asiancinema.com uh, uh, Hopefully uh, and I say this every week, I hope I can actually get back to updating the site but I have about three or four projects at the same time right now and I unfortunately just don't have the time I'm, I'm sorry. Um Next week, though, if you do watch Monster Hunt 2, you might be able to find my name in that film. Um, and uh, that's that's not a way to contact me. I'm just saying. I'm just throwing <laughs> that out there. <laughs> yes, right to the Monster Hunt 2 production company. Care of Kevin Ma, yeah. please. Yeah. <laughs> 
All right. Uh, so please follow Kevin, and please do check out our friends over at the Podcast on Fire Network with all that they do. Our next episode should be episode 249, uh, which is probably, I think we may not have a recording session next week, um, but uh, unless something pops up, uh, we'll probably hold off and do one or two of the Chinese New Year films um, post-Chinese New Year release, which is going to be on uh, the 16th here. Have you guys gotten anything yet? I know you're getting the Simon Yam movie on the 14th, right? We're getting everything on the 15th. Well, 14th is Valentine's Day, so these are what we call the early screenings. Mm. But we're getting, like, everything. We're getting almost everything, except... Um, we So we got the Patrick Kong film, A Beautiful Moment. We're getting uh, Monkey King 3. We're getting Monster Hunt 2. We're getting um, Agent Mr. Chan, the new Dale Wong movie. Um, but we, we don't have Detective Chinatown 2, and we don't have um, Operation Red Sea. We get Operation Red Sea on March 1st instead but we have four chinese language new year film and that's pretty impressive we also, we also have staycation by johnson lee but i don't think anyone's gonna watch that for new years mm-hmm. all right so we should be back to talk about some uh, of the chinese new year films on our next episode so all of that more until then this is the East screen west screen podcast saying don't turn on particle accelerators just don't do it not a good idea and we'll see you next time see you next time everybody